Well, good evening. It's really, uh, really a pleasure for me to get to be here and talk to you. I don't know if you guys know what the speaker schedule is, but I was not your normally scheduled speaker. Um, your normally scheduled speaker had a family issue. Everybody's fine, but it was a family issue. So then he called Andy, and Andy said, well, actually, my son's playing in a ball game right now, so he couldn't do it. And so then they called, thought, Bill will do it. Oh, Bill's out of town. And so I think they asked everybody else on staff, and then finally they said, you know what, maybe Terry will do it. And so they said, Terry, you're the first person we asked. <laughs> and I fell for it. And that's why I'm here. That's all I can tell you. Seriously, it's a privilege to get to talk to you. Andy said you guys are in a series called Just Jesus and wanted me to talk to you about Jesus in the Gospels. But what I, and we will talk about that, but what I'd like to talk to you about is tell you a little story. I wanna tell you a story about two incidents between Jesus and Peter. One was at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and one is at the very end. And then I'd like to bring it back to a really pointed uh, application for us today. So before I start this story, I wanna tell you about where and when and what is going on. This story is gonna to make tons more sense if you know a little background. So first, we must orient ourselves with a map. And so this is a map of the Sea of Galilee. And so, Jesus did a lot of his ministry right here at Capernaum, up on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee's, oh, 13 miles long, maybe five to seven miles wide. It's, it's a good size, but, I mean, it's not huge, but it's definitely a good size. And so I wanna show you kind of what this looks like so you'll get the context of both of these stories that I wanna tell you. So I'm gonna take you to a mountain right here, right above, right by the town of Magdala. And this is the mountain on the right. This is a picture of it from the sea. It's called Mount Arbel. It's probably my favorite place in Israel. Uh, Jesus was up there a lot praying. It's, it's silent, you can see a lot. It is right by the town of Magdala. And if you remember Mary Magdalene, that's her city. That's why she's called Mary Magdalene. She's Mary from Magdala. She graduated from Magdala High, went, did a couple years at the junior college there, and then went on into the Bible. But want to take you and show you what it looks like. We're looking north. We're standing all the way up there, and Capernaum is out here on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, and you can see what a beautiful view. This is the modern village of Migdal, Magdala and the ancient village is way, is straight down. This is like a sheer vertical cliff. I don't know how many tourists they lose each year, but they really ought to put a railing up there. Here's a better view. It's a little clearer day. So this is looking up, and so Capernaum, right up in this area. And what I wanna talk to you about happened at a little place called Tabga. That's a weird word, but that's because it's a Hebrew word and it's a little stretch of beach right there by Capernaum. And both of these stories that I'm gonna tell you, the traditional site where people think these happened or where I'm going to show you, where both of these events happened. But first, just to give you a feel, it is beautiful around the Sea of Galilee. This is a, what the shoreline looks like today. It's what the shoreline looked like 
in the time of Jesus. And you can imagine the boats and the fishermen and people walking along the Sea of Galilee. It is a beautiful area. Today, there are still boats on the Sea of Galilee. Most of them are tourist boats. These take tourists out on the Sea of Galilee. There's no commercial fishing uh, on the Sea of Galilee, but there's just fishermen out there, sport fishing, that, that sort of thing. But also to understand this story, you, you kind of need to get a feel for what the Sea of Galilee looked like and, and what it was like. But you also need to get a feel for the boats because the boats figure into both of these stories. Because as you know, many of the disciples were fishermen. And so the Sea of Galilee is pretty shallow as you go out from the shore. And then as you get out a ways, it gets really deep in the middle. And so they would go out in these boats I want to show you an unbelievable archaeological find. That boat is exactly the kind of boat that Simon Peter owned and that James and John owned. That boat dates to exactly the time of Jesus. That boat was buried in the mud for 2,000 years. They found it by accident when the sea was really low one time and the wood was just crumbling. I mean, the Israeli Antiquities Authority spent years trying to keep this thing from fragmenting. They soaked it in a bath of preservatives for, I think, five years. And so that is an actual boat from the time of Jesus. And this is what it would look like if you just sort of reconstructed it. This one on the right is an exact reconstruction of that boat. And the picture on the left are from Arab fishermen from 1900. So 1900 years later, that boat is exactly the same as they were using in the time of Jesus. And I just wanted you to see that they're still, you know, in recent times, they were still fishing out of these small boats. So Jesus and his disciples, what they were doing still was going on into the 1900s. So it's not, not very old. So I do need to tell you a little bit about how they would fish. So they had nets, but they weren't like commercial nets. They're just round nets that you would take and there's a skill to it and they had weights all around it and you would throw it in, it would sink down and ideally you'd have people, several boats trying to herd the fish there and you would pull it up and you could only fish in shallow water. I mean, you can't, it's, it's gotta be pretty shallow water for a net like this to work. So they always fished near the shore. They, they weren't deep sea fishermen. They never fished out in the middle of the lake. I mean, it's way too deep out there. So what they would do is they fished all night. They fished at nighttime, never during the day, because during the day, the fish go down to a, a lower depth, which means they go out into the middle of the lake, so there aren't any fish around the shallows. And I'll show you the spot that I wanna to talk to you about. This is what it looks like today, and that's what it looked like in Jesus' time, is this is the area of Tabka. And this area is where both of these stories happen, but I want you to get the feel for, they would fish, oh, maybe 50, maybe as much as 100 yards offshore. That's as far as they ever got away from shore. So they never fish out in the middle. The only time you see the disciples and Jesus out in the middle is when they're trying to go across the lake because it's way faster than walking around. So they would fish close to the shore and they would fish at night. And so about dawn, they would 
pull up to the shore and they would start to clean and repair their nets and hopefully they've caught some fish. If they've caught some fish, they send somebody to the market to sell the fish. And so this is how fishing happened. It was an overnight thing. It was really close to the shore and uh, their boats oftentimes would need to be repaired. That boat that I showed you had been repaired about 16 times because a boat was a big investment. It would be something that was handed down from generation to generation. And a boat was a very expensive, I know that didn't look like much of a boat, but that was a very expensive thing to build in those days. So not many people had a boat, it was typically a family, and dad would pass it down to the kids, and the kids would fish, and they'd pass it down to the kids, and, and that's, how, that's how this worked. So at this spot, early in his ministry, Jesus begins to preach around the Sea of Galilee. And you may remember this story, but this is in Luke chapter five. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Now, think about this. You're standing here on the shore and you're being pressed to the shore and you got all these people. It is really hard to talk to people. But what you can do and what they knew and what is still true today is if you will push out and get on a boat and you would just go a little ways out on the water, first of all, you don't have all these people crowding, but your voice bounces off the water. It's amazing how well you can hear. Sometimes when we're in Israel and we're at this site or somewhere on the shore, if there's somebody out fishing, you know, 50 yards away, 100 yards away, you can hear them talking on the boat. So it was a smart thing to do. And so Jesus is being pressed by all the people around him that want to hear the word of God. And he was standing by the Sea of Galilee. This is one of the many names of, uh, of the Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Why? It's in the morning. They just came from fishing. And they're getting out and taking all the seaweed out of their nets and they're repairing it. And so he said, but they had already finished for the day and they were repairing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. That's Peter, Simon Peter. He got into Simon's boat and he said, Simon, would you just push out a little way onto the lake? And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, so Simon and those guys are like, well, I guess we're gonna have to hear this sermon. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, the security guys at crossings. I, you know, I talk to those guys every week and they sit there during the whole service. Have you ever noticed? You may not notice them in here because they stand in here. It's like, those guys hear two sermons every week. It's like, you should be super Christians. You should be uber Christians by now. So anyway, sit there, they listen to the sermon, they get done with the sermon, and Simon's like, good, I'm worn out, we've been out all night, let's go back, let's go home. But instead, Jesus said to Peter, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Now, this is probably one of the more stupid things that you could possibly say to a fisherman. What's wrong with this? Well, you already know what's wrong with this. One is, it's daylight. There are no fish. They've all gone down deep. That's why we fish at night. And he said, put out into the deep water. No one ever fishes in the deep water. It's a waste of time. The fish are way too deep out there. And so this is a really dumb thing to say, but Peter says one of the most interesting things in the scripture. You know, you'd think, if I were Peter, maybe if you were Peter, you'd say, look, 
You're a preacher, I'm a fisherman. I won't tell you how to preach, you don't tell me how to fish, right? But he doesn't, he's polite, and this is what he says. He says, Master, we worked all night and caught nothing, meaning we know what we're doing, you don't know what you're doing, and now you're trying to tell us how to fish. He said, but, and I wanna translate this a little bit differently, a little more literally, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. That is probably one of the most profound statements to me in the Bible, because you say so. So I want you to think about this for a minute. If, how many of you I would say that on a scale of one to 10, with one being I can't decide where to go to lunch, and 10 being I always know what to do, how many of you are on the really high confidence side? Oh, come on, there's gotta be somebody in here that's really confident, there you go. That's me. Now, let me be clear, I may be wrong, but I'm never uncertain. I'm always confidently wrong. And you know how that'll drive your girlfriend crazy or your wife crazy? It's like, you're absolutely wrong, I know, but I'm dead certain about it. And so that's, you know, that's Peter, right? And so he's like, hey, I know what I'm doing here but because you say so, and when I became a Christian, that was the hardest thing for me, the because you say so. For me, it would have, I, here's, here was the way I approached it. I'm like, Jesus, I've really thought about this a lot. I believe what you're saying is true, and I will do what you say, it, kind of the unspoken part was, as long as it makes sense to me. As long as what you're saying makes sense to me, I will do it. Or you find some people that say, Jesus, I will do whatever you say as long as it doesn't go against something that, that I want to do. Well, Peter wasn't in either of those circumstances. Peter was maybe in a worse situation. He says, you know, he's faced with this dilemma. I'll do what you want as long as it's not utterly stupid because that's what this was. He's like, seriously, this makes no sense. I know it makes no sense. It isn't going to work. It's never going to work. It's never worked in the history of humanity. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but it's like what God wants done doesn't make any sense to me. That's what makes this so powerful. He says, this doesn't make any sense, but because you say so. You know, there are a lot of ways that people try to summarize Christianity, probably, Oh, probably the most famous one is uh, love God, love people. That's what you need to know to be a Christian. Yeah, that's good, but it's not the best. So some people would say, be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's good, nothing wrong with that, but it's not the best. If I were gonna pick a description for somebody who said, what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ? That would be what I would say. That means that your answer to Jesus Christ is always because you say so. I'm in. Does it make sense? No, it won't always make sense. Do I agree? I will not always agree. Can I explain it? No. Do I have a different opinion? Sometimes. But my answer is still because you say so. That is the essence of faith. And that's where Peter starts. He starts in a really good place. So he says, because you say so, I will put down the nets. Now you may remember what happens next. He says, and so they do, they push out, they row out into the deep water 
they include, and they drop the nets and they pull them up and they have so many fish that the nets are breaking. They've got so many fish that they're about to capsize that little boat. I mean, it's like it's full. And this is in, insane. This is a miracle. I mean, literally, Peter and the people with him understand this is unbelievable. When they did this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they yelled over the water to James uh, and John and said, come out here and help us. And they came, they filled both of the boats with so many fish they began to sink. You could tell that those boats don't sit that high above the water, they're not that big. Nevertheless, they had so many fish that they were riding low in the water and they began to sink. And so, when Peter saw this, so they're making their way back, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now that is an interesting reaction. Have you ever wondered what you would do if you saw a miracle? I mean, seriously, have you ever wondered what you do if you saw a bona fide, that is definitely a miracle? I don't know, but I'll tell you what people always do in the Bible. I mean, anytime people, this is really interesting, Old Testament, New Testament makes no difference. When people come in and realize I am in the presence of God, I'm in the presence of the power of God, they are absolutely scared to death. Usually fall on their faces afraid. Peter falls on his knees and puts his head down and says, Leave me because I am a sinful man. Think about that. He basically said, look, I know I'm a Jew, but I'm not a very good Jew, and I'm clearly standing here with a messenger of God, someone who has the power of God, and I just want to shrink into the background. I am scared to death. And look what Jesus says to him, which is interesting. And Jesus already knew that. He said, yeah, I know you're not a very good Jew. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. And so Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Why does he say that? Because Simon's obviously scared to death. He's like, I do not want to be around this kind of power. He says, but from now on, you will be catching people. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now that's pretty interesting. Stop and think about what happened in this encounter. Peter doesn't argue with Jesus. He actually expresses some level of obedience, some level of humility, like I know better than you do about fishing, but because you say so, I'll do this. And then he realizes I'm in the presence of the power of God. And immediately he's like, I'm not worthy. I, I don't want to be in the, in the power, in the presence of the power of God. I'm not worthy to do that. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, I've got a plan for you. And from now on, you're not gonna catch fish, you're gonna catch people. And stop and think about what it would take for you to not go home tonight. Now, I'm not recommending this to any of you. I don't wanna have your parents calling me, okay? But seriously, what would it take for you to have an encounter where you said, left my car in the parking lot, left my apartment, and off I went following Jesus, didn't come back for six months? Well, seriously, what would it take? You'd say, it would take a lot, Terry, because that's pretty insane. That's exactly what they did. In other words, the second point I wanna make, the first point is this. When you come to Jesus, this is how you come, because you say so. That 
I'm gonna argue is the only way to come to Jesus. But the second point I wanna make is no one has an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ that doesn't completely change your life. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you leave your job, you leave your home, and the next thing you know, you're jetting for some remote region you know, to be a, a missionary or an evangelist. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is think about Simon Peter's life for the next three years. It's radically different, isn't it? I mean, he's off following Jesus. He's no longer a fisherman. He's off doing that instead. That encounter completely changed his life. And it began to change everything about his life over time. The same's true for us. An authentic encounter with Jesus changes your life. So what happens over the next three years? Peter is a because you say so kind of guy. He's like, because you say so, I'm gonna follow you. Because you say so, I'm gonna do a lot of stuff that does not make sense to me. Because you say so, I'm gonna think about the world differently than I've ever thought about the world. Because you say so, we're gonna to go to Samaria, and I hate those people. He said, because you say so, I'm gonna forgive my brother. Not seven times, but 70 times. You think about the, what you know of the Gospels and how this starts to make sense. Think about Peter is a because you say so guy, and his life radically changes over the next three years. Well, at the end of the ministry, it does not come, it does not work out the way Peter and the others thought it was gonna work out. If you remember leading up to the crucifixion, now we fast forwarded literally three years, and Peter's been with Jesus three years. Because you say so, I'm with you. But he gets to the end, and remember when Jesus says to him, the Son of Man must be given over to the Gentiles and crucified, and Peter says, that will never happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He said, no, you don't understand. This has to happen. And you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when they come to get him, Peter starts to fight, like you can't do this, this is the king, this is the king of Israel. And Jesus says, put that sword up. He said, you take up that sword, you're gonna die by that sword. That's not how we do things. And they all flee. Why do they run away? Well, some people think they're scared. I don't think they're that scared, honestly. I think that they're not afraid of physical danger. I think they're so disillusioned that they don't know what to do. Well, we can't fight for you, and we can't even comprehend the Messiah actually being handed over to these people. We don't have any idea what to do. Everything I thought I knew about the Messiah is completely crushed. They are so disillusioned. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience or not, but you might at some point. And so this is what they do. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, another name for the Sea of Galilee. So they've gone back to Galilee and they're with Simon Peter, Thomas, doubting Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, James and John are the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were all there together. And Simon Peter said, I'm gonna go fishing. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna go back to what I was doing three years ago. It didn't work out. I thought he was the one. I was all in on this and it didn't work out and he is so disillusioned and all he knows is, I'm just gonna go back to fishing. And so they go and they get in the boat and that night they fished again and they caught nothing. 
So I remember in my Christian walk, some of you know my story because I think I've told it a couple of times, but so I became a Christian when I was roughly your age. I was a heathen before that. But I became a Christian a little bit later in life. And then there came a period after being a Christian for several years, kind of growing in the faith a little bit, I hit a point where I became so completely disillusioned with the church that I was in. It wasn't this church, I won't name the church. In hindsight, I'd say it was as much me as it was the church, let's just be honest, right? You know, I was looking for a bunch of perfect people, but I wasn't either. And so, but I was so disillusioned with the people there that I did something that we call backsliding. Any Baptists, former Baptists? Oh, you admit it, come on. There's nothing wrong with Baptists, absolutely. Baptists call it backsliding. You know what I called it? I'm disillusioned and I'm gonna go fish. I mean, I went back to the way of life I had before. That's what Peter's doing. He says, I'm just so disillusioned. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus, he just didn't turn out to be who I thought and it didn't work out the way I thought it was gonna work out. And that's the way it was with me. It's like, I, this just doesn't seem like it's working out the way I thought it was gonna work out. These people aren't what I wanted them to be. This church isn't what I expected it to be. And so I went back to fishing, if you wanna call it that. I went back to my former way of life. Well, that's what Peter is doing here. He's been so disillusioned, and if, if you ever get to that situation, and maybe you've been there, but if you ever get to that situation, I hope that you'll think about this story, and I hope that you'll realize that's not an unusual thing to feel. At some point in your Christian life, you are going to feel some sense of disillusionment, some sense of doubt, some sense of, is this really the deal? Is this really it? Are these people really followers of Christ, one way or another, you're gonna have something that hurts you, something that wounds you, something that you don't like, whatever it may be, and I think you're gonna hit a point where you ask yourself that question. Well, Peter did too, and so Peter went back to fishing. And at the very spot that I showed you, according to uh, all the Catholic churches built there, uh, this is the place that this happened. And so as they go out, they fish all night. They fish at night, they fish close to the shore. And just as day was breaking, so they're finished, it's dawn again. I mean, this is like three years later, this is a bookend on Jesus' ministry. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now that really bugs some people, but if you've ever been to Israel, but now that you've seen these pictures, it's not gonna bug you at all. They're about 100 yards out from shore. It's misty in the mornings. I mean, duh, it's a lake, right? And so when the sun comes up, it's a little misty. It's completely understandable that they see somebody over there, but they don't know who that is standing on the shore. So Jesus is on the shore, but they don't know. And Jesus said to them, children, have you caught any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They're like, well, that sounds awfully superstitious. We've pretty much fished everywhere here, but they did it. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul all of the fish in because there were so many in the net. Then John says to Peter, that has to be Jesus. John is the one that says, wait a minute, I'm having an incredible feeling of deja vu. We did this three years ago. 
I mean, that's Jesus. Because look what's happening. Once again, he told us to do something that didn't make any sense. We did it, and look what happened. Well, Peter, he's rambunctious. He doesn't wait for them to to, uh, row in. He just strips off his shirt, dives in, and swims. Now, you have to remember, do you remember what the last interaction before this was between Peter and Jesus? It was Peter denying Jesus three times. Remember when he said, these these yahoos may run away, but I will die with you. And Jesus says, seriously, before the cock crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And he does. And he goes away and he weeps bitterly. And he goes to Galilee and he's sitting there and he goes back to fishing. And so I don't know where, but somewhere in that swim, he probably realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't be in such a hurry because last time I saw him, I really have something big to apologize for. So, but anyway, they get there and there's Jesus sitting there and there's Peter sitting there. And let me tell you what happens uh, after this. So you may remember this part of it. So they eat some breakfast. Jesus has got some charcoal and he's cooked some fish and they're eating their breakfast. And when they get through, they're all sitting around and Peter, uh, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love, this is really good. Because remember, what did Jesus say? These guys might desert you, but not me. I love you. I will die with you. He doesn't. And so Jesus says to him, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? Peter like, ugh, I wish you had not brought that up. He says, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says again, do you love me? This time, not do you love me more than these guys, just do you love me at all? He goes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, He says, well, Peter, do you like me? And Peter's broken, you know, three times. And he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And let me tell you what he's saying. He said, Peter, what are you doing fishing? I told you three years ago we were done with that. Why did you go back to fishing? I want you to keep doing what I told you to do. That encounter had such an impact on Peter that for the rest of his life, he was a because you say so guy. I don't know if he ever doubted again, but he never disobeyed again. He never went back to fishing and he didn't have an easy life. So what happened to Peter? Peter, after that day, Jesus is resurrected, 35 years go by until 68 AD. And Peter is arrested in Rome. Peter's had a lot of adventures in 35 years. He's been persecuted, he's been put in jail, he's been beaten, never has he gone back to fishing. It's because you say so, I'm gonna do it. And he was faithful for 35 years. And I know that's longer than you have lived, but I want you to think about it, not so much in the I don't have that much behind me, I want you to think that you have that and more ahead of you. And so Peter was killed by the Emperor Nero, crazy loon. He killed Paul and Peter about the same time. They're both in prison in Rome in 68 AD. Paul's a Roman citizen, so he gets a merciful death. They just cut his head off. Peter, however, is a Jew, so he's gonna get crucified. And you may remember that the church, uh, early records in the church say that Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus and he was crucified upside down. And this is Caravaggio's 
painting about that, about Peter being crucified, but not in the same way Jesus was. He was crucified upside down, and he died faithful, an old man, having for 35 years since that time on the beach been a because-you-say-so kind of guy. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this same experience, but I wanted to talk to you about this because I've had this experience. I've had this experience of saying, because you say so, and then being disillusioned and going back to fishing. And just like Peter, not maybe quite as miraculous, but just like Peter, God came and basically said to me, what are you doing fishing? I called you to do something else. And he didn't abandon me, he didn't leave me, he came and he called me to come back. And he said, are you willing to say, because you say so? And I said, yes. And ever since that time, that's been the story of my faith. I think that's the story of the Christian life. Whatever you say, I'll do it because you say so. Whether it makes sense to me, whether I agree with it or not, whether it, it, it even makes any sense that this could work at all, it doesn't matter. It's because you say so. So the story of Peter that I wanna point out to us is Jesus does these things for a reason. And the story of Peter was foreseen before he began. You know, when Jesus chose Peter, do you think he didn't know that Peter was gonna be really rambunctious and he was gonna be a great example of faith? And then Peter was gonna become crushed, hurt, disillusioned, can't make sense of this, and that Peter was gonna go back to his old life, first backslider in history, and that he was gonna to talk to Peter and confront him and bring him back. And here's the thing I want you to realize. Do you think that Peter was prepared at the very first meeting with Jesus to live the next 35 years and undergo all that hardship? I don't think so. But do you think Peter was prepared the second time? I think he was, and history proves it right. And here's what I wanna say to you. I know some of you may not be in a situation where you're saying, because you say so, I'm all in, I'm your woman. Whatever it is, count on me, I'm your man. I'm God's man, no matter what comes, no matter what you need, I'm gonna say yes to God. That may not be where you are. You may have some doubts. You may have some disillusionment. You may have some hurts. You may have some questions. There's nothing wrong with that because you see the story of Peter is not that I came to Jesus with fully formed faith and it just worked perfectly. Everything went smoothly. Peter's story didn't go very smoothly, but at the end of that story, his faith was far more solid than it was at the beginning because he thought he had faith at the beginning and all it took it was a pretty big disillusionment, pretty big letdown, but that's all it took. God didn't deliver like I thought he was gonna deliver. How strong was that faith? Nowhere near as strong as Peter thought, was it? But then when he came back and Jesus said, go feed my sheep, don't go back to fishing. You've outgrown that. Don't go back to the old life. Now, how strong is his faith? Strong enough to propel him for the next 35 years and death on a cross. And I wanna encourage you with that. I want you to know that if you have doubts, if you have disillusionment, if you're in a downtime and you say, Terry, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I used to be all in and I don't know if I'm all in. All I want you to know is you just keep your eyes focused on God because he knows how to make your faith strong enough for all the rest of your life. And that's the lesson from the life of Peter 
is sometimes you get this image and sometimes we show these, you know, these little Christian videos that are all so great and, oh, it was terrible, then it became good and life was, we all lived happily ever after. Yeah, you don't get to live happily ever after in this life. There's a happily ever after, but it's not here. It's a test of faith. It's a trial of your faith. It's an ups and a downs. It's a living out the Christian adventure of what does faith look like when it meets the world. That's what this world is gonna be about and it takes a strong faith. Nobody's faith starts out strong and just sails right through it. Not one of the disciples was that way. So if you're in that situation, I wanna encourage you, stick with God. He will strengthen your faith, even out of your doubts, even out of your disillusionment. And if for some reason you've gone back to fishing and you're back living the life you used to live, it's not too late. It's never too late. God is not gonna give up on you. He's going to say, do you still love me? And that's the question that I wanna leave you with. I understand it's your custom that you have a question that you think about a little bit. And here's the one that I would ask you to think about. I'm not gonna assume that you are where Peter started because you say so. If you are, I want you to think about that and I want you to just meditate on the idea that yes, Lord, because you say so, whatever comes. But if you're not there, I wanna ask you this. And I don't say it with any sense of guilt whatsoever. I have no condemnation for that. I've been there. I can't condemn you for being there. But I would say this, what will it take for you to be able to say, because you say so? Are there questions that need to be answered? Are there relationships that need to be healed? Are there prayers that need to be prayed? What would it take for you to get to where you can say, because you say so? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Peter. And I thank you particularly because neither Peter nor any of the other early followers, not the ones who went before us and no one we know has a perfectly formed faith. No one we know, Father, has never met trials and never doubted. No one we know has never gone back to fishing. But Father, I pray that you would draw us to you, that you would answer our questions, that you would show us Teach us to doubt the doubts that we have. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes fixed on you. And if we've gone back to fishing, I pray, Lord, don't forget us. You love us and you come for us, and I pray that we would be listening. I pray, Father, that we might get to the place where our faith is so strong that we can truly say, because you say so, we will do it. In Christ's name, amen.